in chapter 5. And uh, I, I wanted to recommend a couple more books to you. Last week I had uh, recommended a couple of books. And this is another one here that uh, Daniel brought up last week. It's written by Lou Priolo. It's called The Complete Husband. And uh, this is a very good book, very challenging, and um, really uh, helps uh, deal with the issue of communication in marriage, which is so vital. And uh, it really is a profound book, and I recommend it to, to both husbands and wives to read this book, The Complete Husband. And then there's another one here that I have. This is by Jay Adams, and it's called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage in the Bible. And if you will, this is a doctrinal discussion of various uh, marriage principles. And, of course, it also deals with uh, divorce and remarriage. Uh, again, I would recommend that every Christian who's married read this because it, it presents very profound information from the Bible on these topics and would even gather together the relevant Scripture passages on each of the topics that are discussed. And uh, there's some very helpful charts in here as well that help you understand um, various aspects of divorce and remarriage. So, uh, again, another book that I would recommend. And actually, I'd, I'd like to give this book away this morning. If there's anybody here who could actually quote Ephesians 5, 26, and 27. Anybody at all? <laughs> no? No, no. Okay, Daniel's going to give it a shot. No, sir. That's not the one. Anybody else? Okay, I guess it'll have to wait for another week. It goes like this, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So, seeing that you haven't committed that one to memory yet, all you husbands, <laughs> that would be a good passage of scripture for you to memorize. Because it speaks of the motivation behind the love of Christ for his church. Okay? And it's something that every husband really ought to have committed to memory. Uh, okay, so then with that, I want to um, go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read from verses uh, 21 through the end of the chapter. And here it says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. But we are members of his body. Because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Amen? Okay. So that would be the context of the passage that we're studying. And, of course, we've, we've gotten all the way basically through verse 24. And then last week we began looking at verse 25. And verse 25 reads like this. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And, of course, you remember two classes ago we were, we were dealing with uh, verses <coughs> chapter 5, 22 through verse 24, which really addresses the wife's submission and subjection to the husband. And then getting through that, Paul lays down some responsibilities of the husband. And the first of these, he says, is for husbands to love their wives. And so last week we began looking at, at what this means, and I was making the point that very frequently as Christians, and we're reading through the Bible, and we get to this little place in Ephesians that's talking about marriage, and we kind of go right by it just like this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Da, 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 da. We read right on by that. And we don't stop to consider what's really being said. In just a few short words, there is a mouthful that is being said. And so with that, I really wanted to present to you and kind of open up for you and expand exactly what it is that the Bible is saying when it says, Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ also loved the church. And so if we're going to begin to obey that commandment from God, how is it that that's going to happen if we don't have any understanding if you will, of how Christ loved the church. And so what we're saying is, is that husbands have a responsibility. And what is that responsibility? Well, to love their wives. Well, let me ask you a question. What does that mean? What does it mean for a husband to love his wife in this biblical text here? Well, it means for the husband to do it like Christ did it for the church. That's what it means. And that's what Paul is saying very specifically. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ has also loved the church. And then last week I was also telling you that who is worthy of this command? Which husband is going to raise his hand and say, I have loved my wife just like Christ loved the church? Or I shall love my wife just like Christ loved the church? Who's worthy of such a command? Well, I want to tell you, every single Christian husband is worthy of that command. How is that? Well, he's your Lord. He's your master. 
He's your Savior, and He has commanded you to love your wife in that manner. And He's not going to give you an unreasonable command that you cannot fulfill. Why? Because He's going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit in order to accomplish it. And more than that, He expects you to accomplish it. Amen? He doesn't give us His commandments so that we can shun them. He doesn't give us His commandments so that we can uh, treat them with a very postmodern attitude. In other words, like, well, I kind of feel like loving her today. Or I'm in a good mood, so I'll love my wife today. But then when I'm grumpy, I'm going to be mean and unkind and nasty and ugly and all of those things. Is that how we treat the commandments of God? No, indeed. We're going to be held accountable by God, right? There is a judgment to come. Amen? And every man is going to be judged according to what? The deeds done in the body, says the Scripture. Right? And as a Christian man, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, aren't we? And we're going to give an account. God has given us a responsibility in our marriage. God has given us a responsibility in our family. And, uh, and like I was saying to you last week, I even wrote it on the board. I said, being a godly husband is not for wimps. Right? Because wimps can't love like this. A man who doesn't have courage will never love his wife like Christ loves the church. It takes a man of courage. It takes a man of strength and trust and dependence on God. A man who looks to God for his strength. A man who looks to God for his help. A man who's concerned about expressing his manhood in a way that glorifies Christ. A man who's concerned about his own, his own wife, his own family. And so, listen, every Christian man is worthy of this command. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. God will give to us a sufficient strength a sufficient grace to love our wives as He loved His church. That is, if we're looking to God for that strength and for that trust. And He's the only place we're going to find it. Apart from Christ, He says in John 15, Christ says, Apart from Me, you can do nothing. How can you bear this fruit of love in your life? How can you bear this fruit of love in your marriage if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit? If you're not looking to God for this kind of divine love. And if you were here last week, you got a taste of what I was talking about. Because when we think about how is it that Christ loved the church, we can begin to examine the love of Christ and we see all these facets of the love of Christ for his church. And we begin to understand what is really expected of a Christian husband. And what are our responsibilities? When, when, when Paul says, love your wife as Christ loved the church, what is he saying to us? Well, he's saying that we ought to manifest that same kind of divine love to our wives that Christ did to the church. And I want to tell you, America would not be in the situation it is in if husbands would love their wives as Christ loved the church. And if men in our culture would take the responsibility that God has given them and bear that responsibility in a manly way and in manly character, 
The problem is we got a bunch of wimps in America. We don't have men who are worthy of the commandment to love their wives and to love their families. And because of it, our country's in shambles. And I don't need to expound on that, do I? All you have to do is open your eyes to see that. But not so in the church, friends. Not so in the church. It cannot be this way. Because our marriages are a reflection to the world of the Christ church relationship. And, and the way that we love our wives as Christian husbands should be a reflection to everyone around us of Christ's love for his church. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so this morning we're, we're asking the question, how does Christ love the church? And once we become educated about that, then we have a pattern for understanding how we as a husband should be loving our wife. And, and obviously that's going to have a profound impact on our family and on those who are around us. Okay? You know, marriage is in big trouble because husbands aren't loving their wives. Because when a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church, it has a tremendous sanctifying effect in the marriage and in the family. And I want you to know, as a husband, you're bearing the responsibility of that before God. You are what, as the scripture said, the head of the wife, the head of the family. Amen? And you bear that responsibility. And so the Scripture gives us everything that we need to understand what God is asking us. He says that we should love our wives as Christ loved the church. And then so last week, we looked at a few characteristics of the love of Christ for His church. And those were that Christ's love was sacrificial. That Christ was willing to give everything He had for the well-being of His bride, the church. He gave, the Scripture says, Himself. Christ gave himself for the church. So how will a husband love his wife like Christ loves the church? Sacrificially. He'll be willing to give himself for her. Which means he will stop at nothing to meet her needs. He will stop at nothing for her joy. Even as Christ gave us that example. He was willing to what? To die to give everything that he had for the fulfillment of his bride, the church. This speaks of the degree to which a husband should love his wife. So when we ask the question, how should a husband love his wife? To what degree that he would be willing to die to love his wife? That he would be willing to die to protect her. That he would be willing to die to support her. That he would be willing to die that she might have hope and encouragement and have her needs met. That's the example of Christ's love. It's sacrificial. He was willing to give himself. He gave everything he had and he did not withhold from her anything. You see that? Can you see that in the example of Christ for his church? Okay. Well, then also we talked about the fact that Christ's Love for his church is a gracious love. It's a gracious love. What does that mean? It means that Christ extends his love to his church 
even though she is not deserving of His love. That's what it means. What's the definition of grace? Unmerited favor. So if Christ has a favor for His bride that she did not merit, then what should that say about your love for your bride if you're to love her just as Christ loved the church? That you're loving her, how? Out of reverence for Christ, not for your own selfish motivations. Not for your own selfish um, pursuits. But that you're loving her, why? Because Jesus is your Lord, that's why. And because He commanded you to love her in the way that He loved you. Amen? What should that motivation be? Like he says in verse 21, it should be out of the fear of Christ or out of reverence for Christ, a husband should love his wife. Not because she's deserving of your love. You know, and this is, again, is a major problem in marriage. Specifically, a failure on the part of husbands. We get so focused on ourself and we're so focused on self when she doesn't be the kind of wife we want her to be or look like the kind of wife we want her to look like or do the kinds of things we want a wife to do, then what do we do? We fail to love our wives. We stop treating her in a manner consistent with the love of Christ. Why? Because our motivation is selfish. Our motivation is centered on what we're going to get out of the deal rather than loving like Christ loves graciously and freely. Christ loves us in spite of the fact that we're sinners. Christ loves us in spite of the fact that we've offended Him a thousand times with our sins. And He keeps coming to us again and again and again and loving us and caring for us and meeting our needs. Right? How is it that Christ loves His church? Listen, with a gracious love. He loves her in spite of the fact that she does not deserve his love. Okay? So the next time you're real disappointed with your wife, what you ought to do is get on your knees before God and say, God, teach me how to love my wife like you've loved me. Because see, if you're loving with a sacrificial love, you're willing to lay down your own needs. And you're willing to give up whatever it is that you have so that you can express the love of Christ to her. And if you're focused on self, let me tell you something. You're headed down a a rough road. And your marriage may not endure it. Because selfishness is the most destructive thing that, that can attack a marriage. And it is the reason why marriage is in the state that it's in in our country. It's because we're all consumed with self. We all want to preserve self. We're all consumed about meeting our own needs, and we want everybody else to cater to us. And nobody's willing to take up their cross and follow Christ and deny themselves and lose their life for His sake that they may find it. But it cannot be that way in the church. As Christians, we have this call to follow Christ. And what is the example of the love of Christ? It is self-sacrificing and it is gracious. It is a gracious love. It is extended to those who do not deserve it. How much more to your precious wife? Amen? It takes a man to love like that. 
It takes a man who's willing to, to face his shortcomings and to humble himself before God and to seek God for strength and for power to love his wife in that way. That's what it takes. Amen? So then we also talked about the fact that Christ's love for his church is a patient love. That when Christ expresses his love to his church, he is very patient. He doesn't get tuckered out with the church's shortcomings. But he loves her to the end, the scripture says. Right? He loves her in spite of her shortcomings. And he is very patient and graciously sacrificing himself for her. In spite of her failures, in spite of her shortcomings, in spite of her blemishes, Christ loves her with a very patient love. And husbands should be patient with their wives, allowing them time for Christ to be formed in them. You know, we, we, we seem to have these expectations of our wife, like she's some kind of a, you know, perfect domestic engineer, you know, who graduated with a Ph.D. in the School of Domestic Engineering, and then we want her to look like Cindy Crawford. Why do you suppose that is? Why, why, do, why do we have those kinds of unrealistic expectations? Because the culture that we live in is surrounded with that kind of thinking. They live in a fantasy world. Okay? But as Christians, we don't live in that fantasy world. We're not conformed to the world. We've been transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we have realistic expectations of our family, of our wife, of our, of our kids, of our own lives. And we realize that we can't love our families. We can't be the kind of men that God has called us to be apart from divine power. And so every day we've got to humble ourselves before God and we've got to go to God and seek His strength to be able to love our wife with a patient love, to be long-suffering, right? And, and, and seeking uh, uh, to, 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 uh, to give her the kind of room, the kind of space that she needs to heal and become all that Christ has called her to be. You know, when you think about how patient Christ has been with you, how, how would you describe that? You know, how, how patient has Christ been with you since the day you got saved and you started reading the scriptures? And you started realizing how short your life falls of Christ. Right? And how the Lord is so patient with you. And, and how He just keeps coming to you again and again and again. And he just keeps washing you with His Word. And then He waits. And He washes you some more. And then He waits. And over time, how you're being sanctified. And you're being made holy. And you're being fashioned into that image of Christ. And you're being conformed into His likeness. And you're becoming like Jesus Christ. How is that happening? It's happening through the patient love of Christ as He bears with you. Okay? That is the example of love that a Christian husband is to have for his wife. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, 7. It says that love 
bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. Love never fails, is what the Scripture says. It's long-suffering. It's forbearing. Amen? That's the kind of love that Christ has for His church. You get on your knees and forget what you ought to pray for? Here's one for you. Pray that God will teach you how to love your wife with that kind of patient love. Amen? And then also that the love of Christ is kind. And I was telling you last week that if you read in the Old Testament, you'll see the desire of the heart of God for His people. And how he earnestly longs to see them blessed and fulfilled. And I was telling you to have full bellies and to have cattle that are bearing offspring and to have gardens that grow, right? And how he told the Israelites, if if you'll just obey my voice when you go in the land, you'll have what? Houses that you didn't build and vineyards that you didn't plant and your clothes won't wear out, right? Right? And, and your, your cattle will bear offspring. And your houses will be full. Your table will have food and wine and bread. Your hearts will be happy. You'll be content in the Lord. You, you, you're familiar with that kind of language in the Bible, right? And it's expressing the desire that God has to want to be kind to His people and to bless them, right? And, of course, that's a conditional covenant that He has with them, right? Upon their... Obedience, right? But the idea is the motivation in the heart of God for His people is kindness. Okay? And so when you consider the love of Christ for His church, consider that the love of Christ is kind. He wants to bless. He wants to fulfill. Okay? And this ought to be the kind of motivation that's in the heart of a husband for his wife. He ought to consider the kindness of of God. And I, you know, I pulled the scripture out of Romans where it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And you know, what is God doing for you, husband? And how is he expressing his love to you? He's working out every single thing in your life for your ultimate good. What does that say about how you ought to love your wife and be kind to her? That you ought to seek to work out everything in your life for her good, for her best interest. The love of Christ to his people is kind. And then also gave the example last week of chivalry. Right? Chivalry. Who remembers uh, what, I, what we were talking about? What's chivalry? Somebody tell us. But, okay, open the car door is the... The first example that comes up of chivalry, right? I wonder, you know, chivalry has actions like opening the car door or the store door or any kind of a door or, you know, but but what about words? Does chivalry have words? Is chivalry kind and gracious in its communication? I think it is. And I, I even went to the extreme to say that a Christian wife ought to treat, I'm sorry, a Christian husband ought to treat his wife like what? A royal queen. Remember when I said that? 
And, and so lest you think that I'm off my rocker or off on a different planet somewhere, let me suggest to you that the church is, in fact, the royal queen of all the universe. And she is going to rule and reign with Christ ad infinitum, world without end, year after year after year after year throughout eternity. She will rule as a royal queen with Christ, her king. And so it's an example of how Christ loves his church. Listen, she is a royal queen. She's a royal bride. And, and I'll tell you, if you'll begin to think about your wife in those terms, it'll be a lot easier for you to learn how to love her like Christ loves his church. You know why? Because his church is a royal queen. And he is a royal king. And he does have a real love and kindness in his heart and disposition to treat her like who she is. Is that a high calling? I'll tell you, it'll never happen until you start thinking in these terms. Unless you are transformed in your thinking, how is it that Christ thinks about his bride? When he considers her, what goes through his mind? You ever read the Song of Solomon? Let me tell you, read the Song of Solomon. And what you will hear is expressions coming from the heart of Christ to his bride. That's what the book is all about. That is the theme of the book of the Song of Solomon. And you see the expression of the heart of Christ toward his bride, the church. The love of Christ is kind. And so then also, the love of Christ is meek. The love of Christ is gentle. Christ's love is gentle. Although he is God, very God, and has the command of angels, he stoops to wash the feet of those he loves. So consider that. Consider that the king of glory left heaven to come to this place and humble himself as a servant and wash your feet. What does that say about how a husband ought to love his wife? If Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself in the form of a bondservant and took up a towel and washed the dirty, filthy feet of his disciples, his church, his bride, those whom he loved, then what should your love look like? And I want to suggest to you it should look like this. It should be just as Christ also loved the church. Husband, how should you love your wife? With a gentle love, which is willing to serve her and humble itself before her and do the work that it takes to wash her feet. You can't be lazy if you want to love your wife like this. You with me? It's awful quiet in here again. <laughs> I know about you, but this is really exciting to me. Because I know I got a lot of room to go. I got a lot of room to grow. And I, I don't know what you know what you treasure in your heart, but when I think about my Lord and Savior, and I see the kind of love that He has for His church, I'm filled with longings to be like Him. 
And what better place that, that I have to express that in my character than with my precious wife? Amen? These are the kinds of things that ought to be filling our affections as Christians. What happens to you when you read the Bible? This is what should happen. You should be taking on the mind of Christ. And you should be transformed as your mind is renewed by the Word of God. And these ought to become your affections. This ought to become what you're hungry for. Right? To learn how to love your wife like Christ loved the church and to see the example of the love of Christ for His church and then to take that on. What a privilege it is that we would be able to participate in the divine nature. And that God gives us the very power to do it with His Spirit who is in us, who is zealous to see us become like that. In fact, His whole ministry is to sanctify us and conform us into the image of Christ. And the Scripture says that He is at work in us both to will and to do according to His good purpose. God is zealous to see us love like this. Amen? It's His chief desire that we might be sanctified and love like He loves. Amen? He speaks gently. Christ speaks gently and possesses meekness toward all. Husbands must be gentle with their wives. When you consider the meekness of Christ, the humility and the gentleness of Christ with his bride, that's how a husband ought to be with their wife. I don't know about you, but for me, this this is a tough one. This is really difficult. Because I didn't have a whole lot of examples of gentility as a man growing up. And, you know, I never learned how to be gentle. I was always rough. I still am pretty rough. You know, and a lot of men are that way. Men are men, right? They're macho, right? And they're, they're, they're very uh, coarse. Men are very coarse. But see, women are not like that. Men, uh, women are very tender, and they're very soft. You ever notice that about women? See, their skin is real soft. <laughs> right? And, and women need to be loved with a, with a tender, gentle love. Amen? Ladies, amen? Amen. amen. That's, that's better. That's... <laughs> Women are precious gifts from God, made of sugar and spice and everything nice. (laughs) Well, you know, here's this thing. I'm going to get like two or three Sundays... To come in here and impact you husbands with this idea of how to love your wives. And so I want to give it to you full strength. Right? And maybe it'll last for a while. Because by the next time we get to husbands love your wives, it's going to be some time. Amen? So I'm hoping that stuff hangs around in there. You know? (laughs) But nevertheless, 
if I ask the ladies, are you made of sugar and spice and everything nice? No. No? <laughs> Another honest confession. Man, Charlotte. Agreed. And our, the culture that we live in is is, uh, is highly feministic in that sense. Is that what you're saying? And that uh, it's, it's very much of a cultural norm. And we're probably bombarded and lambasted, if you will, with uh, the kinds of thoughts and concepts of, of that kind of radical feminism every day, if we're in the world. And, of course, we all are. Tanya? No doubt. No doubt it has. And uh, no, no doubt that the kind of love that is manifested in the world is no love at all. Amen? And the kind of female roles that are demonstrated and put forth in a, in a world that hates God, ignores God, won't even bring up his name or acknowledge that he exists, in that kind of a God-hating world, there is nothing in its right and proper place. Amen? Amen? But the right and proper place for a woman, let me tell you, is to be soft and to be tender and to desire to be loved softly and tenderly, even as Christ loves his church. Amen? I wanted to also say, maybe I should, well, I'll just say it. Don't get the idea that this late generation is the only one that's kind of slipped off the slippery slope. Let me tell you, that happened back in the garden. Okay? And, and ever since then, there has been a desire in the woman's heart to rule over her husband. Okay? And it's just that in the current culture that we happen to be living in, she has an ability to freely express that more than she has in the past. She's been fighting for it for some 5,000 years now. Okay? 
And so really the, the problem with, with that radical feminism, if you will, is an age-old problem. It's an age-old problem that's always been around, and it's stated in Genesis 3, okay? And, uh, of course, uh, men are just as guilty, if not more guilty, because they have the responsibility, right, to be the loving leaders that they should be. And since they're failing at that, this is giving the woman the freedom to express that, and uh, that becomes very difficult. But, you know, in the world around us, friends, you look out there, what you see is an example of a perishing world. You see the example of a world that hates God. Not so in the church. Not so in the church. What should it look like in the church? Here's what it should look like in the church. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands because the husband is the head of the wife. And husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ also loved the church. Right? With a sacrificial, a gracious, a kind, and a patient love. A love that is seeking her joy and her fulfillment and her blessing at all costs. That kind of love. That's how a a husband ought to love his wife. Amen? And if husbands were loving their wives like that, women wouldn't be be desiring so strongly to rule over. You see, it, it becomes very easy, or should I say... Much easier for a woman to submit to a husband who loves her with that kind of love. Not that she doesn't have a sinful nature to suppress. She certainly still does. But even that she can do by the power of Christ in her. Amen? It's all a supernatural command. What wife is worthy of this command to her? Submit to your husband. None lest the power of God live in her and strengthen her to do such a thing. Amen? How much more when she has a husband that's not obedient to the word? Tremendous difficulty. But even that can be done through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? The love of Christ is meek and gentle. Listen to what he says. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Matthew 11, 29. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my load is light. And so I would ask this question to you husbands. Does your wife find rest in your love? Because your yoke is easy, and your burden is light. Think about that. That's how Christ loves. Amen? And that's how a Christian husband ought to love his wife. And furthermore, that love should be sincere. It should be sincere. It should be real inside. It, it can't just be a facade. Because, friends, if it's a facade, it's not real. It doesn't exist. You can't make it happen. You can't manufacture it. This love has to be in your heart. <clears throat> Christ has a sincere and genuine love for his bride. He loves in deed and in truth, 1 John 3.18, not with a mask on the outside and grumblings in his heart. You see, the love of Christ for his church is real. It's in his heart and it exists. So think about that. 
when you think about how you're going to love that wife? Is that, is that love that's in your heart, is it real? Is it really there? Is it sincere? Do you sincerely want to love her with the love of Christ? And I'm convinced if you're saved, you do. It's probably one of the chief desires of your heart to be able to love your wife like Christ loves the church. In fact, if you're walking in the Spirit, you're probably crying out to God day and night for the strength to be able to do it. Amen? I don't know about you, but when I read these commandments from the Lord, I'm in fear and trembling. So where else can I go but to Him for strength and for power? And when I don't genuinely and sincerely feel that kind of love in my heart for my wife, where else can I go but God, that He should grant it to me? Amen? I'm not just going to manufacture it. Right? Especially when she does things that upset me or that bug me. Does your wife ever do things that bug you? No? (laughs) Especially when I start getting selfish and thinking about me again. That never happens, right? You with me? So, what's going to be the wellspring of that kind of sincere love in your heart? And I'll suggest there's only one of those. It's God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the wellspring of love. And love, friends, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's got to come from God. And so if you're going to have a sincere love for your wife, a real, genuine, sincere love inside your heart, listen, God has to grant it to you. And you have not because you ask not. And I'll tell you right now, you'll never love your wife like Christ loves the church until that love is in your heart. Until it is sincere and real and genuine. And then it will be very easy to express it. Because it will be the real expression of what is inside your heart. Amen? And if you don't have it, listen, if your love has grown cold in your marriage, you need to cry out to God to give you this divine love. There's no other way to have it. Scott? It's so huge and so momentous what he did was he took the responsibility for her redemption. Amen. Amen. There has to be a, a, a very uh, deeply self-sacrificing commitment to love that woman, doesn't there? When you consider what Christ had to face, what he had to endure to really love his wife. Amen? And surely he had to do it in the strength that God provides. You see that in Gethsemane, right? And he's crying out to God. Amen? If a husband has an insincere love, although he will try to cover up his wicked heart and play the part, On the outside, it will be quite obvious that his love is hypocritical, for he will have a true lack of affection and devotion to his wife's joy. I want to repeat that. Think about this for a minute. If a husband has an insincere love, although he will try to cover up his wicked heart and play the part, 
On the outside, it will be quite obvious that his love is hypocritical, for he will have a true lack of affection and devotion to his wife's joy. You see, if it's not on the inside, you're fooling yourself if you think it's on the outside. And so what I'm suggesting is is that that love has to be real. It has to be sincere. You can't just manufacture it. You can't just, you know, bring your wife flowers and then act like a grump the rest of the week. It doesn't work that way. The flowers should be an expression of the love that's in your heart for her, sincerely. And not motivated by any other thing. You can't think, well, I need to do that because every once in a while I better do that. Or, or, you know, she'll start thinking I don't love her. Well, what is that? What kind of a mask is that? What kind of a hypocritical love is that? How about this? I am so thrilled with my wife. I am so filled with fulfillment and joy when I consider my precious love. I want to get her some flowers today. You see the difference? You with me? Husbands, that love needs to be inside that heart. It needs to be real. You with me? It needs to be sincere. The, the Bible says in Romans 12:9, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Or in the NIV, it says, Love must be sincere. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, and give preference to one another in honor. Amen? Listen, love has to be sincere. It has to be real. It can't be hypocritical. Or it's not real. Surely, Christ doesn't just love His church on the outside, but in His heart He's grumbling the whole time. Amen? It's a real divine characteristic that's inside his heart. And that love and that devotion to his wife is extremely sincere. Amen? It's an issue of the heart, isn't it? Amen? Yes? We also have to keep in mind that it's a process. We can't let the fact that we aren't there yet mm-hmm. give us an excuse to not mm-hmm. want to be those Amen. Absolutely. We surely haven't arrived. <laughs> right? Anybody arrived yet? But, uh, you know, Scott's saying we, we can't let that discourage us. We can't be discouraged. You see, we've got to have what? Courage. We've got to be encouraged, strengthened to keep pursuing that kind of sincere divine love in our heart for our wife. Amen? And I'll, I'll give you an honest confession. I love my wife more today than I ever have in the history of our marriage. And you know what? That has very little to do with me. I'm a wicked sinner inside my heart. But you see, the love of God lives in me by the Holy Spirit. And He's changing me. He's given me a new nature which lives inside of me. And it is the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And that is transforming my character to be like the character of Christ. And that's what you should see in your heart if you're really a Christian. 
You should see your heart, your character should be being transformed and becoming in that character of Christ. Amen? And, and husbands, if you're not growing in your love for your wife, you got problems, man. You need to get it figured out. Because where's that going to wind up? You know, you got marriage problems? You need to deal with them. You got no bigger problems in the world than marriage problems. Those are the biggest. Amen? Because she is that priority above all other priorities in the world. Right? You're one flesh with that woman. Right? She, she's the priority. You got marriage problems? You better get it right. You better get it right. You know, this, this world is so accepting of divorce these days. You know, we think, we think divorce is an option. Let me tell you something. You're a Christian. Divorce is not an option. Period. End of sentence. The Lord Jesus Christ said, what, what God has joined together, let man not separate. I tell you, Christians don't know what they're toying with when they start thinking about divorce. And, and quite frankly, the church is really failing in its proclamation of God's standard. Okay? I, I, I probably will deal a little bit with divorce and remarriage. Um, before we're done with this little section of text. But I want you to understand something. Divorce is not an option. Let me tell you what your options are. Love your wife. And don't take my word for it. It's the Lord Jesus that you're going to give an account to. And He's the judge of the living and the dead. And let me tell you, the day of that judgment is right around the corner. Amen? Amen? Sean, isn't this, though, really, uh, you know, you're really coming down on the husbands about this, but as a wife, I should love my husband this way also. Mm -hmm. We'll get there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I kind of thought I came down on the wives pretty hard to learn how to submit. And I can tell you right now, there is a tremendous failure in the church on the part of wives. To submit to their husbands properly, as to the Lord in everything, like the Scripture says. Uh, but she does also have the responsibility to love her husband, and I believe that's verse 33 of chapter 5. And um, am I missing something there? Yeah. Well, we we will we will most definitely talk about that when we get to verse 33, and there is specifically a command in First Timothy 2. To the wife to love her husband. Um, but, uh, you know, quite frankly, I'm not coming down on the husbands. I'm talking about the reality of the love of Christ for his church. And, and quite frankly, your sinful nature ought to be squirming in its chair. Right? And the new man inside of you ought to be crying out, saying, Awesome! Wonderful! Rejoicing! God, help me to be all these things. Amen? And we got to put that old man to death. Right? He's there every morning we wake up. Somebody's got to put him to the sword. Somebody's got to hack Agag to pieces so that Jesus can live. Amen? Sharon? 
Oh, I'm sorry, Greg. Two things. This might be kind of simple. Since we started going through this, two things that have really struck me that keep coming through, going through my mind is is number one, humility. Um, without it, you know, you can't do any of this. Um, and and number two, back in verse 15 through 17 understanding what the will of the Lord is. I mean, if, if, if to me, in my, my way of thinking, if you kind of get those two things in check, the rest will start falling in, into place. Amen. Yeah, a husband can't love like this if he's proud. Mm-hmm. Amen. Because typically if he's proud, Oh, that's just defining his selfish nature. It's all about me. Right? So as Greg says, he's got to be humble. Like Jesus said, learn of me. He said, because I'm gentle and what? Humble in heart. Right? And what was the second one there, Greg? I'm sorry. Yeah, understanding what the will of the Lord is. So that when, you know, when we read right by this thing, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right? Well, that's a mouthful that's being said. How is it that Christ loves his church? Well, we've been discussing it for two weeks now. And we're almost there, I think, to some degree, looking at the different facets of the love of Christ. How about this one? That the love of Christ is selfless and serving. Christ's love does not seek its own, but rather the benefit of its object. The love of Christ is selfless. I mean, when you think about the definition of divine love, what comes to your mind? I don't know about you, but the first thing that comes to my mind is that divine love is selfless. It's seeking the benefit of others, right? Because that's its nature. Its nature is to want to bless. God's like a wellspring. He just keeps flowing out blessing. Amen? His desire is to love It's his very nature. And that nature is selfless. It desires the benefit of its object. Jesus did the work of love. You know, you can't love if you're lazy. You're going to come home and plop your rear end down on the couch and pull up the paper, you know, and your wife is going to be honey, right? And, and uh, you know, you get the picture, you know, like, you know, she comes over and wants to talk to you and, you know, not now, honey, I'm busy. You with me? Because you're too lazy to give your wife the kind of attention that she needs. Right? Because you worked all day and you're tired and you know what? I don't have time for that intimate communication with my wife. That's a lazy man. That's not the kind of man that loves like Christ loves. The kind of man that loves like Christ loves gets home from work and he recognizes, now I'm done with that work and now i got to go to work here. How is that? I need to express that kind of divine love for my precious wife. Here's these few precious moments that I have in this day to love my wife and to love my family. And you know what they need? They need you. They need your time. They need your attention. Amen? I don't know about you. I'm convicted about this all the time. 
and constantly. And they remind me about it, too. <laughs> right? But that's okay. I need constant reminders. Do you? But they need your time. They need, they need, you, you, you can't be lazy about this. You know, you, you, you can't just fall off into Monday night football. You got a family to love. Right? You with me? It takes some work. It takes some effort. Christ loved his church. He washed their feet. He served them. He loved them. And this was not for himself. It was for her. Not to say that she doesn't bring him great joy. And that his chief desire really was a selfish desire. Why? Because he wants a holy church. Why? To fulfill him. Right? There is a sense in which the love of God is selfish. And that is a very beautiful thing. But that's in the character of God. You see, our selfish is perverted by sin. God's is not. God's is holy. Right? He demonstrated his love in the washing of his disciples' feet. He was willing to humble himself and serve the ones he loved. Is that an example of your kind, the kind of love that you have in your marriage? That it's humbling itself and washing the feet of your wife. He offered his back to be torn. He offered his hands to the nails. You see, he was willing to be crucified on behalf of his wife. That's a selfless love. Amen? I'll tell you, i got a lot to learn here. This was none to his own benefit, except the joy that it brought his beloved. So I ask you this question. Are you a selfless and serving husband? God help us to be that. I'll end with these few short thoughts. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. And what I mean by that is, it's an act of the will. Love is an act of the will. It's not some ooey-gooey emotion that lives inside the heart. Love is an act of the will. It is something that you choose to do. Tell me how, in the Middle East when they have arranged marriages and you get married to some girl you've never even seen how you can live and love that woman for the rest of your life. Because you see, in the Western culture, we go out and we find the woman we want and we court her and and, and we, we actually choose that bride. How about if you got a bride that you didn't choose? How in the world are you going to love her? I'll tell you how. Love is a choice that you make. You choose to love somebody. You see what happens in America, we're young and, and uh, we're enthralled with the beauty of our young wife. We get married and then all of a sudden we hit midlife and she's not that 18-year-old beauty she was when we met her. And all of a sudden we start looking around for somebody else. That's, that's an example of the kind of love that's in a God-hating society. What kind of love is that? That's not love at all. That's lust what that is that's very selfish and self-centered amen 
But you see, the kind of love that Christ has for his church is a love where he has chosen to devote himself to that woman and to love her throughout the rest of the ages. Amen? For better or for worse, for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health. It's a selfless love. Okay, but you choose to do it. You know, we say, the love is gone. Or I don't love him anymore. Or I don't love her anymore. What is that? You don't love her anymore. You mean, you mean you're not driven by your lust for her anymore? Is that what you mean? Because if you're trying to say you don't love her anymore, what you're trying to say is you just don't want to love her. You've chosen not to love her. You've chosen not to make that act of your will to love that woman. Amen? Happens all the time. Talk to counselors. People come in all the time. That's what they say. I don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. What is that? What kind of a concept of love is that? You with me? Love is a choice. It's something you choose to do. It is primarily an act of the will. (coughs) Here, husbands love your wives. It is a verb and it requires action. It's something that you go do. God is saying, love your wife. Right? You have to make a choice by your will to be obedient to God. That's how you fulfill this thing. It's not just some ooey-gooey thing where you fell in love when you were 17 and you've been there ever since. You with me? Think about the, what, what does it imply when we talk about love that way and we say we fell in love. What does that mean? Is that the kind of love that the Bible is describing? Let me suggest that there are some very strong emotional feelings that are related uh, to love. Right? You see, in, in, in Greek, there are three words for love. In the English language, we just have one word and it kind of covers them all. Well, you see, it does us a real injustice. It really does. The kind of love where you fall in love, that in Greek is called eros. Okay? It's a sensual kind of a thing. It's an emotional kind of a thing. But the kind of love that we're talking about here in the scripture is what kind of love in Greek? Agape. You see, agape love is a love that manifests itself by an act of the will. And it's chiefly seen in Jesus going to the cross. Amen? And you see, he chose to lay down his life for you and for me. You see? He went and he did that thing by an act of his will. And that's what's happening when God says, Husbands, love your wives. It requires action. And although it produces deep and profound emotions and affection, love is a commitment rather than a feeling. It's something you commit to do by an act of your will. Are you with me? Okay. Otherwise, it could not be commanded. How could God say, love that woman, if he was suggesting that somehow you're supposed to manufacture an ooey-gooey feeling inside your heart? You with me? What's he really saying? He's saying, by an act of your will, you love that woman in the same manner that I have loved you. That's what he's saying. It's up to you, husbands, to love your wife. It's a choice that you make. It's an act of your will. And it's the commandment of God. Amen? 
uh, here, husbands are commanded to love their wives. God is not demanding an emotion from us, but rather an action motivated by the will. Right? He also says in Colossians, there he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Do not be embittered against them. Husbands should not be embittered against their wives. This is very destructive. What do you suppose happens when you get a bitterness inside your heart towards your wife? What do you suppose that does? It festers. Right? You get the idea of being embittered? Oh, she did that thing to me. And you've got this, this kind of a bitter grudge inside your heart. You see, the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. You cannot carry a grudge around in your heart and love your wife with the kind of love that Christ has for his church. Amen? And you know, some guys have been embittered against their wife for the last 15 years. And you wonder why your, your marriage is torture. Right? Listen, you, you can't be that way. Purify your hearts. Repent of your sins. Go pour out your angry, wicked heart to God and let Him fill it up with His divine, gracious love. Amen? And you'll find the strength to love. You look to God, you'll find the strength to love. You repent, you put the old man to death, you put off the sinful nature, and you'll find the ability to love. Amen? You with me? God help us. God help us. Consider the attitude of Christ toward his church. Although she falls short of his favor in her practice, in position before him, she is holy and blameless and in all of her glory. You know, you stand before God in Christ, holy and blameless. That's what the scripture says. You remember back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4? Right? That he chose us in him to be holy and blameless. Maybe it's verse 5. Before him in love. You see, in position before Christ, we're a holy church. Even though we don't always act like it. You remember the difference between position and practice? Listen. The attitude of Christ toward his church is... He sees her as the holy bride that she is. And he is zealous to make her holy. He is zealous for her holiness. He is zealous to sanctify her and to cleanse her and to wash her. And that's the topic for next week. You see, a husband ought to be zealous to sanctify his wife and make her holy. And the Bible even gives us a prescription on how to do that. Amen? By the washing of the water through the word is what it says. Shall we pray? God, our Father, Lord, we thank you for these high and holy commandments. We ask, Lord, that you would transform our marriages, Lord. That you would fill them with this divine love. And may they be strengthened, God. Lord, may the enemy not prevail over your people, Lord, any longer. Lord, now that we have this knowledge of your divine love, may you give us strength, Lord, to apply it to our life. Father, help us 
Enlighten our hearts, God. Give us understanding. Lord, I pray that you'd give us strength. Give us husbands strength, Father, to deny ourselves and to love our wives in the same way that you love your church, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would continue to make us like you. Lord, we do desire to be like you. We see your love and we are in awe. We worship you, God. You are glorious and beautiful and we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your rich and your wonderful word. May it live in our hearts all week long. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.